What's up, guys? It's Matt. On today's edition of the TKW Podcast, I chat with Kyle Maggio and TKW staff writer Tyler Marco about retiring Carmelo Anthony's number, which was a popular point of contention amongst all you guys on Twitter this week due to a piece we wrote. We also talk about the Knicks and Nets talking on Twitter, going at each other, talking about who's better, blah, 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 whatever's going on with that. And then we talk about some other stuff. We talk about the Yankees. We talk about the Jets. We talk about everything going on in sports because, hey, it's the off season. So let's have some fun with it. So without further ado, let's go. Welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined today by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, my friend? And I'm also joined by first-time podcast and TKW staff writer, Tyler Marco. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Thanks yeah, for having me Thanks on. Thanks for coming yeah, on. First-time guest. Mm-hmm. First-time long time? <laughs> <laughs> First-time long time. Did you guys see the Mike Francesa, like, ask me questions? Did you see any of those? I didn't. I saw I saw the video clip getting passed around on Twitter, but I never got around to actually I was, opening. I was in tears. I was in tears. I'll just put it like that. KFC asked him if he knew who killed JFK, would he tell people? And he said no. <laughs> he goes, God. I'm a big JFK guy, but I'm not a big assassination guy, so I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> the man's a genius. Oh, he is, of course. All The best finesse of the last, like, five years. Said, figure it out for two months on your own, and then I'll just come back and save your, your dopey program. Fantastic. Um, All right, so we want to talk about what has become a hot-button issue thanks to Tyler in part Mm -hmm. and our staff writer Kevin also, who wrote a great piece about whether or not Carmelo Anthony's number should be retired. We were getting mostly no's, which was interesting to see. I mean, I wasn't surprised by the responses, but there was a lot of vitriol behind it, which was... A lot of haters. A lot, yes. That's what what got me more than... No, because I am, I'm actually pretty firmly in the camp of no, and it's mm. not even any. And as my tirade on Twitter, everybody saw today. I, you know, I went on to explain that, and it's actually not not really much to do with Melo, more so just his tenure here. For me to get retired, you know, for a team, you have to basically my standards are, and I think that's what the old standards were, or and still are for the most part. Is you have to have uh, be a great player, a part of a pretty damn good tenure with the team um you have to have the longevity so maybe if you weren't a part of one good era you were part of different eras that you know sort of like a paul pierce you know finally got his title at the end finally had his postseason success at the end after not having any forever so for me that's kind of what it was and again no knock on mellow because i you know at the beginning we faulted the roster you know for not being what it should have been because he forced his trade. But then later on, I felt the front office just miserably failed him and put him in a spot where he couldn't succeed. So I don't really hold anything against him. Um, I just think by whatever standards we normally go by for player number retirement, I don't think he hits it. I think he's deserving of his accomplishments while he was here and his individual talent. I think that's, you know, we can speak to that greatly, but for what the standards are to get a number retired, I don't think he fits. I get that. I 
definitely see that more as kind of like the Knicks having high standards. Like, I mean, what kept coming up is people like, oh, Bernard King doesn't even have his number retired. Yeah. And like, I don't think that should be a knock against Melo. Like, they should both be up there. And it's definitely like, I can easily see the argument for saying no. I'm personally like, I was could really go either way. I tend to side with what could be the most fun as like mostly what I go by on this now but you know there's nothing written in stone that says like you gotta win a title you gotta do this you gotta do that and I went over it basically I think Mello helped really define an era that got a lot of a generation of Knicks fans really excited it was really the most success I'd ever seen as a uh, you know a sentient Knicks fan I like grew up you know born 93 I'm was in diapers for most of you know Pat's time here. So, mm-hmm. well, that's a good point you bring up about bringing in sort of a new era of Knicks fans, mm-hmm. ushering that group in. Because uh, our very own rookie Kevin Knox, his favorite Nick of all time, is Carmelo Anthony. I mean, so, look at Chris Stapps with the uh, corn rolls. Like, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, I, it, it it is. It, it really is a good point. That was my favorite part of the article when you brought that up. Because I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. We should, guys that are retired, why do we retire numbers in sports? You can put barometers on it to see what it's going to take for a guy to retire his number. But when you look up there, it should bring memories back. You should have moments where exactly. you think of him as a Nick. And that's where it's going to come down to. A lot. There's a lot of people that didn't like Melo. But also, and you guys can pitch in here. Did I miss a year where Melo was like OKC bad on the Knicks? Because that's what it seemed like people were saying. Like, oh, this oh, guy yeah, was just no. a mess at the end of I was like, okay, let's let's take a step back here. He was still averaging 23 points, and I get that he was struggling to be healthy, and he wasn't exactly harboring a winning environment. But, like, let's relax. He was never that bad in New York. It's just ridiculous. No, no, no he was actually— expected him to be good in OKC, too. Like, yeah, there was yeah. a reason people thought he, like— Because he was still good. Yeah. Now, Melo was absolutely tremendous 2013, 2014, 2013, sorry, 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014, and 2014, 2015. Those are his. You could have just said 2012 to 2015, and that would have got the job done. I I wanted people to really think about those individual, like (laughs) those team seasons. Okay, boss. (laughs) So, so, uh, no, but I mean, that was his peak. And then after that, he was dealing with that, um, you know, he had the bum knee injury in the 14, 15 year. And then. after that, I mean, he never was quite as good, but that makes sense when you have, you know, knee surgery and a knee injury and you're getting older and you're playing for a garbage team. It, it makes mm-hmm. sense. I mean, I don't know what people expect. And I had one guy in my mentions today, and maybe you guys have a feeling on this, but I had one guy in, my mention, in, in the Knicks ball mentions today. And if you're listening to this, feel free to chime back in afterwards. <laughs> but uh, he basically told me, you know, well, he would have been glad to have, to have seen Melo walk in uh, 2014, um, Melo should have walked. He only cares about winning. He, you know, it, uh, only cares about money. If he cared about winning, he would have gone to Houston and played with uh, Harden and Dwight. And you know that that's what a, a money move would have been. So my retort was, well, first of all, he would have been leaving 25 million dollars basically to go to Houston. He would have been leaving, you know, to go to Chicago. That was the big rumor. But he would have had to lose almost half his contract to go to Chicago. So my thing is, we keep yelling at Melo for being about the money and taking the money, but why does the team exist? The team exists to hire people who are capable of building the team. And with that, that those people who are tasked with building the team have to sign players and fill in the roster. So Phil Jackson was given $60 million to do such a job. His first course of action was, we got to keep Melo. 
So he re-signs Melo, guts the roster, and does jack shit with it. So we're, we're then really mad at Melo for the next two or three years for the team not being good when Phil gave him nothing. He lucked into KP, and outside of that, it was a ravaged roster. And yet we're mad at Melo for not winning more games. You're the player. The player signs a contract to play. He showed up. He did what he was supposed to do, which is to score. He was a scorer. Everybody knew what Melo was. He was a scorer. From 2012 to 2015, he improved as a passer and defensively. I'm not going to sit here and say he turned into, like, fucking LeBron James, but he did. There was a there was an uptick. You you can check it. Sure. It happened. So he did improve his game outside of what he was good at. And on top of that, he was already doing the thing that he was good at, which is scoring. And then we still hold him accountable for just simply not winning games. And I just think it's really silly. You, you got to blame the front office, too. Like, I understand if you don't want to retire Melo's number because I think that's fair and that's what I think is the right thing to do. But, the, the, like, the, the hostility in the nose, like how angry people were at Melo just thinking about it, that's what, that's what bothered me. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, like, like I was saying, like, I can see either side of the argument, but just the, like, vitriol for this dude who showed up to play for his home, like his quote unquote hometown team and like just showed out for seasons. He gave us some of the best basketball we'd seen. And I've really gotten to the point where I'm never going to blame a player for getting their money. The amount of money people were saying he should turn down to go to, you know, Houston or, uh, or Chicago was more money than any of them are ever, any of us are ever going to see really in our lifetime. Like you just can't make no decisions like that no, like nobody nobody's saying no to 25 million dollars yeah. nobody's nobody's saying no to, to losing 45 million like it's it's not a thing that's happening to pretend that any one of us would so easily lose half of what we're actually worth to to mm. go win potentially win a few more games exactly uh, it, it's asinine unless yeah. your name is Kawhi leonard <laughs> i have some list here that i want to read to you guys so I was looking up today because I wanted to think if we get beyond this and let's say let's set some rules for what makes a number retirement. So what's an mm. easy one? I just looked up all-star games. So Melo's made 10 all-star games in his career, six as a Nick. So I want to focus six out of seven years, right? So the, he got traded. He made it every year because he was a replacement even his last year, I'm pretty sure. So yeah. he got he made the all-star team in the West when he got traded here. So I didn't count that. So he's a six-time all-star as a Nick. So among players that have been six-time all-stars, with one team. Here's, here it is. There's a list of 20, so I'm going to go through them really quick. So this is a six-time All-Star with one team. And then if their number's been retired or not. So these are the guys. Kevin Garnett, LeBron James, Dirk Nowitzki, Dwayne Wade, Kevin Durant, Vince Carter, Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, Russell Westbrook, Tony Parker, and James Harden. Those are the guys that I would say would probably get their numbers retired. It's nearly a lock. Maybe you put Dwight and Vince just because of the way that they left. And then KD too, but I find it hard to believe that they won't. And at some point, it's like how Shaq with the Magic. When you get down to the next, you're looking at the group of players that maybe just retired, like a Chris Bosh or a Joe Johnson, where it's iffy if those guys would ever get their numbers retired. And then after that, it's a list of older players that maybe didn't end up getting their numbers retired for a variety of reasons. They played in a bad era. They, two Knicks were on there, actually. Richie Guerin and Harry Gallatin were two guys that made six all-star teams with the Knicks but then didn't get their number retired. You're looking at other guys like Larry Costello, Neil Johnston, Jerry Lucas, 
these are old guys that basically didn't get their numbers retired. I, Gary Payton was a funny one to me. I guess just because they're not in Seattle anymore that they didn't retire his number. But basically the the crux of this is if Melo doesn't have his number retired, he'll probably be an outlier in this group, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I kind of, I mean, I have, I'm not looking up at his numbers right now, but I kind of slot him right around that uh, Chris Bosh Maybe right between him he and He feels like Mike he fits Whitehouse well in there. there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Kyle, what do you think? No, I mean, I, I mostly, I, I still don't see it for the Knicks. I mean, I seen it, I see it more if you want to do the Nuggets. I see that, but I, I, I don't know. He was, I, you think so? I guess just because, but I think the problem here too is that I think the Knicks think of themselves as like a historic franchise when they're not. That's that's what I'm trying to say too. Like, for example, they, they probably at this point should operate more like you know, what like the magic. Were, yeah, with the magic function, like when they're just like, oh yeah, Shaq played for us that one time. We should retire his jersey. You know what I mean? It's like, it it's different when they haven't been this good. But you know, up to the year what ninety nine two thousand, they had they you know like every team they had their lulls, but they had historically been a very good a championship or a contending team to some degree for the most part. And then after that, it fell off a cliff. So. I, they seem to hold themselves to a higher standard because if they didn't, there's no doubt in my mind that Alan Houston's number would be retired, especially with his role in the front office the past however many years now. Um, Oakley possibly could have been retired. I, I could have seen that. Bernard uh, King for sure. Not anymore. Bernard, K- Bernard King for sure. Not anymore. <laughs> Yeah, but, but the question is, do you want the Knicks to do that? Because I think just being a team in New York, no matter how shitty the franchise's history has been in terms of winning, I still think that if they're going to be this franchise that defines New York and has been the basketball team in New York for 70 years, I think they should still hold themselves to that standard, which is why I would go against the mellow thing. And I think they should only retire the guys that have had that longevity and been just Hall of Fame players because down the road, you just, you never know who's going to come around. Yeah, no, but I agree with you. You know, I I do agree with that. I I just don't see, I don't see the case for it. Had they just been able to stretch out a fucking couple more years after the the 2012-13 season, had they just been able to to get through 14-15. Another 50-win year somewhere uh, in there. Yeah, like another 50-win year and then maybe a a mid to high 40, uh, 40-win year after that, like, had they been able to just stretch that out, and then you're like, well, you know, look where he ranks in the all-time list. He was here seven years. You know, he won 50 games. They were able to contend in the East. Um, the, I don't know. I feel like the the case is strengthened. I, and right in the middle of it, I feel like the front office kind of fucked him. So I, I don't I don't know that it's fair to judge him that way, but I just think in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. That, and I and I would really I would like to see it personally. Like if they ended up doing it, I'd I'd feel good about it. But I just don't see it happening. Yeah, that's pretty much my like. I can't really dispute any of that. I get the Knicks definitely try to hold themselves to like the standard and everything. I just when I think of Melo, I just I feel it would make me feel good. That's basically the end of it. it's totally unscientific thing. I just it would make me happy to see Melo's numbered retired. I think it should happen. That's simple. I kind of uh, I compared in the piece a little bit him to uh, Don Mattingly up there, which I mean it's kind of the inverse with the Knicks not retiring any numbers and the Yankees kind of retiring real, everyone. Every number. Yeah, like I was running out of single digits and everything. But yeah, like I don't know. I like when they do the whole ceremony when the guys come back and everything. It makes me happy and. 
really like that's the extent of it. I would love to see the ceremony. I think Mello has been great for us. And we're talked about like the memories, like the the shots against uh, Chicago, the sixty two point game. Like I just feel like it's almost like not erasing a portion of Nick's history, but it's not really it's not really acknowledging it in the way I think it should be by not putting him up there. I think there should be some sort of acknowledgement to what he was able to do here and you know it's a lot of fun teams, a lot of fun moments. I'm completely enamored with how Mello's going to be remembered by Knicks fans in like 15 years. I'm completely oh, enamored because I have no idea. I really think it's going to be a few years like people are going to start coming around. People who just feel like so. burned right now, they're mad. It really does upset me like to see how much people like hate him right now. Like again, like we talked about like the uh, the roster stuff, like traded for Bagnani with him. Yeah, like there's no uh, more like yeah, that was the beginning of the fucking end. Oh, hold on, it... hold on. I got a Bagnani take. Bagnani was not bad as a Nick. All right, everyone's gonna turn off the podcast when they hear this. You look at his numbers and watch him play. He was not bad as a Nick. They just were so fucking stupid and thought that that, that would fix an issue. But he was not bad as a Nick, Ma- especially Ma- when Ma- he came back. Maddie, when he okay. when he could play, like uh, yes. A couple a couple, a couple of follow up questions. Okay, you, shoot. You're saying he was not bad. That's exactly what I just said. Was he good? No, he was not good. <laughs> but he was. What, was he? Uh, was I'll tell he you. Pa- Kyle, was, Kyle. He, was he? Pa- was he passable, or was he simply not a train wreck? I'll tell you exactly what he was. He was Andrea Bargnani. They got exactly what they traded for. That is right. what I'm saying. Right. So th- the fact was, he w- he wasn't really passable. He was just. He was kind of just there, like he was all right. Like there was no, I'm not gonna say here and say he was a dumpster fire, but he was just like all right and all right, and also being ill fitting on that team. Makes it was no a terrible sense. move. It was a terrible move. You know what the funniest thing? People thought Andrea Bargnani could shoot threes. The man could never shoot threes. You look at his percentages; he stunk from deep. Like I hate. I know people don't like when you oversimplify things, but sometimes the problem is exactly what you think it is, and people talk themselves into him being able to shoot threes because he was a European white guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's that's <laughs> it. That's it. Like sometimes. Sometimes that's the root of the problem. It's it's literally that simple. There's this perception. Oh yeah, well he's a European big who can shoot. That's kind of his thing. Can he shoot threes? Of course he could shoot threes. Well, fucking course he could shoot threes. We're gonna sp- we're gonna spread the fucking floor with Bargani, and then it just didn't work. This guy looks like Linus Claza. He has to be him. able to shoot threes. No, no. The thing is, you can't blame the players a lot of the times no. for what, yeah, what happened I... because, like for example, like Amari got offered a hundred million dollar deal to come here, pretty much fully guaranteed, as opposed to like, broken. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> as opposed to in Phoenix, they're like, "Hey, we'll give you seventy mil guaranteed. The rest, you gotta, you know, stay healthy." And he's yeah. like, "Fuck that!" New York offered me fully guaranteed. All of us would do that. Not a single yeah. one of us wouldn't do that, right? In a but second. Then, yeah, but then Amari got lambasted. Well, oh, his contract were hamstrung. They should have amnestied him. I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. He he took his contract. And then same people. thing with Tyson Chandler. And Tyson Chandler, I'm torn on when people talk about him because they say, "Oh, well, we should never have signed Tyson Chandler." We should assign Chris Paul. That's the point guard um, that Carmelo needed. But then that always makes you laugh because then when Melo played the four that season in 2012-13, the reason he was so successful at the four is because Tyson Chandler was at the five. So Melo did need to be optimized in his position, and he also had the perfect complement to him. So if Tyson isn't there and Chris Paul is, are we winning 50 games? I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe not. But defensively, 
Yeah, Remember it's, those it's tip out rebounds. Oh, Tyson, love the tip out rebounds. Listen, man, Tyson Tyson was a hell of a player too. So I, I hate when people talk shit about Tyson. He kind of mailed it in the season. The year. Yeah, he kind of mailed it in after that yeah. a little bit. I understand, but he what was you, people make him next... seem like the slouch. I mean, it's also he wasn't he talking about like there were definite like agency politics going on in the locker room and stuff too. Yep. Was that yeah? Like I can easily see how it's like you just kind of start to check out then like. That whole situation just evolved. It's funny to think about now. Yeah. And it feels like a long time ago. It does. It feels like oh a lifetime. Oh, my God. Like, when Tyson Chandler was a Nick, like, you watch him on the Suns, and he doesn't play much anymore, but, oh my, my God. I forgot. God. He's... Just I, I've like... spent that whole time trying to remember where he is right now. And... <laughs> it's because he never plays. They would do him, like, they would just, I think he was one of those guys they just sent home, like, last year or two years ago. They're like, hey, man, <laughs> we're getting paid, but we don't want you to play. Just just go home and sit at home like they do with, uh, like the Lakers do with Luol Deng and Mozgov. Players Union was loving that. All right, speaking of, I want to talk about this other thing because there hasn't been a lot around the Knicks, but this is this was a big thing a couple of days ago thanks to a tweet from Spencer Dinwiddie. And our good friend, Andrea Bergnani, actually also played on this team. And I had to watch him play. You want to talk about a team he was bad on. The Brooklyn Nets is a team he was bad on. But that's neither here nor there. So Dinwiddie was basically talking shit about the Knicks, which here's my take on it, and then I'll let you guys go. Kyle, you can go first. I... Why are either of these teams talking shit? They both suck, and they've both sucked for four years now, and they've done nothing. Like, they are both franchises that no one is envious of. They're not in great position long term. I mean, the Knicks, sure, we have hopes that they can become something, and the Nets have done things completely differently thanks to the mistakes of a previous regime. But I like rivalries, and I think it'd be fun if the Knicks and Nets would be rivals. Like, I still love the game where J.K. hit the three, and he— totally offensive foul because he stuck out his leg with Jerry Stackhouse. That game was awesome. And they've had some very brief moments of fun. But why are we doing this now? You're just trying to start something. I know Dinwiddie's like a talker, and I love Dinwiddie as a player, and I think he's a funny guy. But just like I just don't really care that much until either of them are, are good at the same time. To answer your question, buddy, it's because talking shit is fun and free. You don't have to be anybody of any stature to be able to talk shit. You can say whatever it is that you want to say. And somebody somewhere will probably enjoy it. And that's what it comes down to. So that's really about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're good or you're bad. People talk shit. Joel Embiid has been the Twitter king before he was even playing. He was sipping. <laughs> he was, he was sipping on his couch. Charlie, yeah, he's sitting on his couch rehabbing. And I put that in air quotes while he was drinking Shirley Temples. That was the rumor. And he was just talking a copious amount of shit on Twitter while trying to bag Rihanna. You can do anything that you want, and somebody's going to enjoy it. It's entertainment at the end of the day. Like, Ennis Cantor, we know Ennis Cantor literally, anything he does is rooted in him being a big kid just trying to have fun. That's all that he does. Everybody gets mad that he's a tryhard and that he's corny. He's a foreign kid who's come here to live his dream and play. Everything that he does, he's smiling or just going along with it or trying to play some charade. Everybody's talking shit, trying to have fun. That's it. Dinwiddie maybe should worry about his starting spot and not, you know, averaging like 12 and 6, um, and then getting lauded as this phenomenal player. Maybe he should worry about actually um, producing a little bit more. And shooting over 40% from the floor. You know, just, yeah, just yeah, little that, things. Little that, things. That would be good. Yeah, that would be good, because I, I, really, I, I learned last year he turned into one of NBA Twitter's darlings, and I'm like, I, guys, I, I, I'm also happy he's, you know, he has a bigger role and he's doing all right in it, but guys are making it seem like he's the second coming of, like, a Jeremy Lin. Like, look at this guy, uh, 
a diamond in the rough. Look how good he's been playing. Comeback player of the year, most improved. And I was like, hey, well, maybe we should fucking relax a little bit because he's averaging 12 and 6 and he's not shooting very well. So maybe let's just cool it because the Nets suck. I don't know. And he was also really good in college. It's not like, like, and at a, I think he went to Colorado. Like, he went to a college that was playing in the NCAA tournament and he was pretty good. So it wasn't like this guy had never been heard of. But that's neither here nor there. Tyler, you have any hot takes on this Knicks Nets thing? Pretty much the only thing I can think of about this is. I've never actually watched Mad Men, but I've seen like you know the screen cap of like the one where the dude's in the elevator with John Hamm, and he's all like, uh, he's like, I like I feel bad for you, I feel sorry for you, and John Hamm just comes back. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> That's the only thing I thought. Like the Nets have been trying to push this for a while, like the whole rivalry thing, and it's you know almost like the cute little brother, and I don't want to like really belittle them too much because they have really turned it around since you know that like that just mess and like they've been doing the right things and actually here's something pretty cool their uh kenny atkinson my uh 11th grade chemistry teacher is his brother really yeah yeah michael atkinson (laughs) that's awesome was he a good teacher uh no no not really it was his <laughs> it was his last we were his very last year before he was retiring so he had totally like checked out and again something don't blame him at all so by extension Kenny Atkinson shitty NBA head coach because his brother was a <laughs> shitty teacher it just makes it, sense his, his brother like we all like just bombed the midterms go back because no one like did anything and he just turned into the biggest hard ass in this like second half of the year so oh, god you hate to see maybe it. maybe if, if kenny can find like an in between there i think he could be a good coach i loved kenny Atkinson when he was on the knicks too because he was i think yeah. he did a lot of those uh those interviews with tina he like did. after he did. And it was he was always the guy they'd peg for that so after a while i was like i like this guy and then he was with the hawks I'm happy for him, you know? And we had yeah, a great no, piece I, on, on our website, too, about comparing the Knicks and the Nets head coaching situation. So check that out if you guys got a chance. Seamless plug. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I definitely like I like him as a coach. I like him as a hire. But, again, like, until the Nets can really just do something and not be this, like, oh, NBA Twitter darling team where it's like, oh, maybe they're actually going to turn around. You know, maybe just play love. <laughs> I think it's entertaining, I so I just don't. Do they have a picks back yet? Is it this year? Do they have a pick yet? Yes. I didn't even used to hate the Nets, and as Matt knows, I have this newfound hatred for any time NBA Twitter goes crazy for something that they, they shouldn't go crazy for. Well, and, Kyle, and, before and, you finish, did you realize how I set you up for this one? Because I knew yeah. you'd probably get upset if people were calling Dimwitty corny. Because I know how you feel about the word corny when it comes to NBA players on Twitter. No, 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 Matt. You have to understand. It's uh, for Dinwiddie. It, it's funny. It, it's very good. He got his shot, and it, it's very hysterical. Um, Cantor is simply corny for responding. You, you forget how this works. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Thanks for clearing it up, man. Nah, but, bro, the, the fucking Nets thing kills me. They signed Joe Harris to, like, a two-year, $16 million <laughs> deal, and they're just like, brilliant, brilliant. You got an undervalue, <laughs> unbelievable deal. My like, guys, it's a, it's a two-year, $16 million deal. Then Doug McDermott signs, like, a, uh, what was it, a three-year or a two-year? Three-year, 21. Three-year, 21. They're just like, pathetic. Pathetic overpaying by the Pacers. I'm like, Doug McDermott is quite literally a better player than Joe Harris. What are we what are we doing here for one million more dollars or one million less per year? What are what the fuck are we doing? Because then and then you could tell who doesn't pay attention because they were like, Well, Doug McDermott still doesn't know how to play defense. And I'm like, Well, actually he does now if you paid even an inkling of attention. An ounce. And yeah, a fucking ounce. Every time the Nets do anything, they acquire a second round pick 
oh my god, fucking brilliant, brilliant <laughs> move. And that's what, that's what Brian's back. Thinking. That's what I, I hate when we do these broad brush things. Where once somebody does something savvy, now Sean Marks and them, they're only savvy. That's it. They they can only be savvy and brilliant going forward. That's it. Like that. That's what bothers me. And then, and, and I think it's bothering me more on the flip side now because the Knicks are, have actually been smart and savvy, but now their reputation is the opposite way. So they can't get the smart and savvy thing going because they've been so stupid for so long. I it's do like, think that uh, I, I'm sorry. The, jump in but i do think knox kind of if knox can really knox and robinson really just do something right out the gate i think that's going to start swinging around too i think the knicks are primed for just like to be everyone's you know favorite maybe not league pass scene but i think they're going to become like maybe the next maybe the next nba twitter darling we'll see they could be a league pass team next year because if Knox is really good and KP came oh, yeah. back healthy and they don't sign a big star, like they kind of just roll it over, then that's the kind of team you could see people pointing to. They'd have to have some progression from some players, but that's that's certainly within the realm of possibility. I wouldn't rule that out. Oh, yeah. Imagine people, what, like just Frank, KP, just Knox. People are going to be going crazy over the, just the defense and switching. Yep. Can we talk about the Yankees for a second? Because <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I, I, I need to get a couple takes off here. Yeah, I think, hold on, but before you do it, all right. I just wanna I wanna prepare everybody. Okay. Um so so folks, Matt's gonna talk about the Yankees real quick. And when he does so, he's gonna do so through the scope of an objective baseball fan, not a Yankee fan, and he's going to remind you to stay calm because of that. He's going to overlook the fact that nothing, nothing in baseball, not a single thing that's happening matters unless it has to do with the Red Sox. So Matt, if you wanna continue with your terrible point you're gonna make. You know what, Kyle? I really appreciate the intro. It means a lot. I'm glad I have a hype man like you to really get me ready for situations like this. Yeah, that, that's why um, I get paid the big bucks. That's that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> I just really want to talk about how much Greg Bird sucks. That guy stinks. That's oh, all I, I had to say. Oh, oh. <laughs> I thought I thought you're gonna do the. I thought you're going for the whole guys. We need to fucking relax, okay? No, no. I wasn't gonna do that today. They would, be, they would be in first place in any other division if it wasn't for the Red Sox. I think we need to relax. Totally overlooking the fact that it doesn't fucking matter because if we, if we lose in the wild card game, nothing matters. And it's very possible because it's a fucking one card, uh, one game series wild card. But Greg Bird does, in fact, stink. He's been terrible. I don't know if it's just injury inconsistency over these last couple of years, but he's quite simply not what everybody was hoping he would be. I realized what a curve I was grading him on. I think it was last night when I was just, I had the game on the background and I saw him fly out to like deep left center. And I'm like, oh, you know, he's showing power to, you know, all fields, I guess. <laughs> and I'm like, it's this like is a where we've gotten. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you know, if he pulled that down the line, that's a home run here. <laughs> I was like, it's just how fall, like, far he's fallen. And, I, I still have a soft spot for him because I was at that, uh, what was it, game three of the ALDS last oh, year. Oh, where he hit it off Andrew Miller? Yep. Dude, yep. that must have been and, awesome. Oh, my God. It was incredible. I came back. I got a uh, I got my first tattoo that uh, that morning. Went right into the city from there. Sweat my ass off in the uh, in the subways. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, the entire time in, I'm just mad because they were down 0-2. I bought the tickets, you know, before they like before right. the series started. And I'm just like, oh, this is bullshit. This fuck sucks. Tanaka comes out and just oh, 180, full 180. Was the tattoo a Yankees tattoo? No, I wish. Oh, okay. That's that's on the uh, that's on the uh, the list eventually. You know who's been 
just unbelievable recently. And I think Sweeney Murdy pointed this out because my favorite Yankee of all time is Alfonso Soriano. And Miguel Andujar has been just so hot lately. He hit another home run tonight. And Sweeney Murdy tweeted out that Andujar is Alfonso Soriano. And I was like, holy shit. He's so right. (laughs) And now I love this man eternally. I'll wait. Might have just been another one. I swear. He almost I'm... he almost did. I have it up too. He almost did. Yeah. <laughs> right to the warning track. <laughs> All right. No. Greg Bird. Speaking into existence. Greg... Speaking into existence. <laughs> Greg Bird is going to have an awesome September. You heard it here, folks. So if he does have an awesome September, Kyle, I want you to credit me every time he hits a home run. Much like you say at Matt, shut the fuck up every time Didi hits a home run. <laughs> That's a fair request. I, I will I will abide by that. That's very right. fair and balanced. Yeah. I think he's going to have a great September. Just a fantastic September. The DD take is going to stick with me forever because I wanted – here's what I think. If I'm going to have especially a conversation over Slack and we're just talking, I want to make sure I make my point clear. So I said – Oh, boy, did you. I was a bit hyperbolic in my language when I spoke about DD Gregorius, and it has come back to bite me in a big way because I don't know if I've said this explicitly on the pod before, but I said that DD Gregorius was going to have a painfully bad season. This is what I said verbatim. And when I said that, I did not mean that I thought he was going to be shitty and just not a good player. I meant that by his standards and compared to last year, I did not think he was going to be as good. And I turned out to be very wrong. And the guys in our Slack baseball channel do not let me hear the end of it. And you know what? It's okay. It's funny. It always cracks me up every time I get the notification that just says DD Dinger at Matt. And then it's just Kyle <laughs> t- uh, saying a bunch of profanity at me. And it's just fantastic. You, you, want, you, want, you want to know why we, we ramped it up or I <laughs> ramped it up and got more aggressive? Please. It's because the, the first month it was like, it was funny because it was right after the take came out and DD was just fucking mashing. He hit like 10 home runs in three weeks, just fucking mashing, right? <laughs> and then, and then, friends, he got ice cold. And then in in June, Matt starts parading around. You know, I told you Didi was gonna have a bad year. <laughs> this is so right. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I am vindicated. I did tell you he was gonna have a bad year, and I was like, Matt, there's like four more months left in the season. He's just like, I did tell you. I don't know what you want me to do. And then he turned it right the fuck around, and that's why I was like, well, now, now I got to be really aggressive because here he is having a parade, tooting his own horn, you know, you know, signaling the victory and. Um, Didi came in just like the great white knight and saved the day. So, and I love Didi, but I just I had my like I said my logic was sound. I I have no problem with how I decided to come to that conclusion. It just didn't quite work out in my favor, and I haven't heard the end of it. So I'll have a crazy take for you next year. I'm just gonna line up a few takes, and then you just pick out one that's inevitably wrong, and you can just fire them back at me. Okay. My recent one, which is getting me. I, I get it's funny that Jacoby Ellsbury is injured and that he stinks. He was good last year. People need to stop forgetting that he was a good player last year. He was like a two-win player. He stole 20 bases, and he had like – he wasn't that bad last year. And People just love shitting on him because he's injury-prone and weak, and I agree with that. He's beyond injury-prone. So like, he is, <laughs> he, is, he is an injury. He embodied. is an injury. Like, Jacoby, like, yeah, it's literally just the DL spot. Says, like, DL 60, Jacoby Ellsbury. It's reserved for him on the roster forever. Yeah. Who are we talking about? <laughs> Let me refresh your memory. The guy that once hit 32 home runs for the Red Sox, and then I don't think hit more than – he hit 17 with the Yankees and never hit more than 10 in another season. Had a wild career, let me tell you. Was never that good, but the Yankees just opened up the pocketbook. All right, before we get out of here, Kyle, I want to give you – Tyler, are you, a, are you a football fan? Yeah. Uh, Jets, Giants? Yeah, Giants. Okay. 
I want to give Kyle a second to talk about Dick Hammer's son. Oh, Dick Hammer's boy, Sam Darnold. If he, if you, if you would talk about him for a little bit, because I want Jets fans to be happy with this. I wanted Sam Darnold very badly. I'm sure I said. I think I said this because we did a podcast like right after the uh, NFL draft, and I think I made the comment that I think Barkley is going to be awesome, but I wanted Darnold. That's so, exactly where I'm yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. There's I I I wanted just a quarterback even. I, I, yes, hundred percent. I I don't want to make this a whole thing, but running back at two, I'm just it's just stupid. I agree. Yeah. But there's a part of me that obviously wants Darnold to stink because it's the Jets. But I It'd root for funny. the Jets. I'm serious. I root for the Jets. I think it's funny when they're bad and people get off jokes, but I genuinely root for them. And I think it's fun when they're good. Like when they had Fitzy and Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, even recently, that was kind of fun. But Kyle, please, how much do you love this man? And what would you do for him? uh, Short of killing someone. As you know, I've been fairly enamored with him. As you also know, I like to try to stay pretty level-headed and cautiously optimistic. You're a smart guy. Um, Yeah. I mean, he looked, he looked razor sharp, like absolutely razor sharp in preseason week one, and I worded it in such a way because it is preseason week one, which is everybody's going half speed, basically. Nobody's trying to blow their ACLs out this early. I understand. The games don't count. Um, but he looked really good. And, he, you know, him and Bridgewater looked very comparable. They were both razor sharp. and Teddy they just execu- Yeah, and, you know, they just did what they had to do, and they came out and they... I mean, it's, it's sort of like when we talk about Knox with Summer League, right? I mean... Does it mean a whole lot? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not in the grand scheme. But is it better than the alternative? Is it better than Christian Hackenberg, you know, hitting reporters in, in practice? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it, it is nice. It is better than that. And it is, it's also encouraging to hear things sort of leak. It's, it's like the signs from it. I'm just trying to, the, the big picture, because he hasn't done anything yet. But it's like, even out of um, training camp, you know, you're hearing things like, oh, Teddy Bridgewater's on the trade market. What, what can the Jets get for him? Uh, oh, Sam Darnold's taking uh, X amount of reps with the first team. It's like they're slowly kind of dropping the hint like he's either got the starting job or he's going to, you know, very seriously compete for it. So, again, I'm very cautiously optimistic. I don't want to get carried away, but he's done like all the things that you would hope he would do. You know, it, I feel really good about it. And I've watched a lot of the tape. Um, I don't like dropping uh, brands on here anymore. As we know, there's no free ads, but no free ads. I do like I do like the Turn on the Jets site and what they do, and a lot of the film that they broke down and uh, done for Sam Darnold. And I just I'm very I'm like eerily confident in what I'm seeing from him. So I feel good about it. I mean, hopefully he starts right away, and we can kind of see what we have in him. I but. I do feel really, like, oddly good. You know, normally with the, with the Jets and the Knicks, we're, we're used to, and Mets fans, I'm sure you can sympathize if you're Reed, you're a Mets, Jets, Knicks fan, which is just the worst combo, and I feel and so Islanders. sorry for people. And Islanders. And Islanders. So, yeah, I feel I feel bad for them. But um, you normally, you feel like you, you know that doom is coming, and you just wait for it. And then, like, everything they do, like, you take Christian Hackenberg in the second round. You trade up to get Christian Hackenberg in the second round. You're like, oh, this feels icky. You know, like, you just know it's going to be bad. But this just felt like, well, well, yeah, if you got a guy like Sam Darnold, of course you, you pay that much to get him in the draft. Like, of course you do. Like, everything just kind of, like, for this time, it made sense. I was like, yeah, of course. If that's the, 
if this is a, a once in a lifetime QB, yeah. I mean, you give up those fucking third and fifth and seventh round, like whatever it was. You just give that shit up. I feel good about it. I, everybody should feel good about it, right? Until until he stinks from what he's shown and, and what the way people talk about him, smart people um, that I've deferred to for football, because that's not my not you know not my thing. I everybody seems to like him. Not Jets fans, Jets fans. So just please just get on board with this shit. I'm speaking specifically to Mike Cortez of the Knicks wall, but please get on board with this. He's warming up already, though. He you is. can already see it in Slack. He's already saying, "All right, he looks pretty good." Week three of the preseason will be really telling, I think. I genuinely hope he's really good, and I, I'm excited to watch him this year because I watch all the Jets games. Yeah, if he's if he's like if he does well in week two, and then he does really well in week three, then I then I'll probably really start talking myself into it. Right now, it's in that summer league kind of phase for me, like we were with Kevin Knox. But if he starts performing, you know, the next couple of weeks, and you know they give him a little bit more of a leash to play with, then I, then I'm gonna go all the way in. There is something that's a little harmonious about the Knicks and the Jets this season where they have young players that are hoping to lead them into the future and they really have no pure expectations this season. You know what I mean? They're kind of coming from a similar spot. Meanwhile, the Giants refuse to pay the best receiver in football, use the second overall pick on a running back. Eli Manning has five good years left in the tank. There's no doubt about it. Minimum. Minimum. (laughs) Minimum. Maybe ten. I don't know. Have you seen how good he's been the past two years? Pfft, you kidding me? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not enthused. It's it's so weird simultaneously defending Eli to other fans while also pulling the brakes on Eli amongst Giants fans. It's really like, I have to walk it real tightrope there. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. You he, he's ours. We only we can like exactly. Yeah. If the Giants win like six or seven games this year, I'll be fine with that. And I think most people will be disappointed, but I think. The delusions of grandeur with the Giants this year are going to be oh, just yeah. off the charts, and they already are. But Saquon's I think there's going to be, gonna be some fun. Yeah, there's oh, yeah. some fun moments between him and Odell, but that defense is regressing. Yeah, everyone's hurt already in like the secondary and stuff. They're paying they're paying linebackers and stuff too much. It's something they've never done. I'm, yeah, fine. Like I don't. I, I still don't know what to make of Gettleman, honestly. Well, when he did, uh, after they drafted Barkley and then he made fun of computer oh, nerds, yeah. which is like oh, yeah. 100% my brand, I did not like that. <laughs> As Kyle I, will I know, thought, I'm a big yeah, I thought guy. it was me. I thought it was me talking. It was hysterical. <laughs> Kyle's watching this and he's like, <laughs> he's got even the set I, of the laughter. Even, yeah, even I was like, this is farther than even I would go. This is, <laughs> my, my lord. Even I feel, even I got offended. I was like, hey man, stats are okay sometimes. Let's relax. <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. We'll see. Yeah. All right, fellas. Good chatting. We got plenty more coming up. Training yep, camp. Thanks for having me on, guys. Of course, man. All right. Good night, guys.